So yeah, Craig can't do any physical harm, but the emotional trauma is it's sort of unquantifiable. Yeah, inestimable. Mm. Is that a is that a word or it did it definitely just... is? Yeah. Yeah. All right. My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just get into it today, guys. This is, um, this is Dave and I'm here with Jason and we're going to, this is sort of like a flashback episode, right? Before we had Pat, Pat's like our, Pat's like our, um, he's like our intern, right? He's like, if shows like, you know, (laughs) Jason and I are the old crusty tenured professors. Well, I mean, I'm definitely crusty and tenured. Jason's like probably like the the more dynamic one that can, you know, really talk to the class. Pat's like the intern that's just trying to like pay his way through grad school, right? We give Pat all the crappy things to do. But also he understands how all the electronics work way better than we do. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how to set up like, you know, a crazy PowerPoint presentation with like neat graphics and everything. But. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he he's the intern and he's awesome and we love you. Sorry Pat, you can't be here today. But we got to we had to crush this uh crush this one out so we could sort of keep pace with uh with where we are in Xana cuz next yeah. next lesson's going to be pretty cool. Oh yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Cool. All right guys, well I did want to start off this lesson. So this is lesson four. We're going to cover pages 64 to 67 in book six, Retribution, which is False War to Wrath of the Betrayed. Um, I wanted to sort of talk about Heresy Grad School um, and sort of where, where it is now, sort of, I think, the, the evolution of it, right? And what it is, what it's sort of come to be um, to me. And, uh, you know, when Jason and I started this, I don't know, Jason, you remember when we started this back in the, the old days? I'm going to lie and say yes. <laughs> it was like you and I, and we were just talking, and we were, it was the full cast. It was like 10 people. Um, and, you know, it was Jason and I talking, and it was like it, literally radio silence from, from the rest of the, the retreat guys. And... It just felt so bad. I felt like, man, we're just sort of uh, sucking up all the bandwidth here. And and so Jason and I talked about it and decided to uh, sort of do our own uh, mini cast. I think it was a mini cast to start with. And then it just sort of became Heresy Grad School. And then we got Pat, who makes us sound good, gooder. Um, Way better than we have any right to, <laughs> considering the, all the shit we put him through. Totally. Totally true. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's come a long way um, since the, the beginnings of the galaxy. And I don't know, for me, I really like where it is right now. I think 
Um, it to me, it's supposed to be a companion to the black books, right? So as you as you read through the lesson plans and the sort of the the topics that we cover, I think it's a really nice companion to the material that's in the black books, right? Because it, it is history. It's unreliable history. It's based on testimony and just like real history, um, you know, it's written by the good guys or written by the victors, definitely not the good guys, but um, the guys who win and they always consider themselves the good guys. But, uh, but yeah, so I hope that we do provide some like context and analysis and, um, definitely some supposition and uh, sort of link it to the larger universe because I know the reason I started this project is just I had these all these black books sitting on my shelf, right? And I was like, man, I've only ever looked at these rules, you know, and maybe I've read through some of the material, but it's just so daunting, right? It's just overwhelming to say, holy shit, I got to, you know, read all of these really detailed um narrative accounts and then they go along with the black library novels and so um yeah so hopefully that's that's where we are with the 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 podcast and i hope you guys like it and i hope that's sort of how you guys are are um you know listening to it but uh yeah without further ado get your uh your pen and paper out and prepare to study some heresy as history. The Zana incursion. Death has reared himself a throne in a strange city lying alone. Hell, rising from a thousand thrones, shall do it reverence. Unknown poetic fragments collected in the Lexus Dramaturica, Saga M2. Part 4. False War to the Wrath of the Betrayed. All right, guys, so we're back. Um, There's a little bit of housekeeping from last time to uh, remind you guys of sort of where we are in the Xana incursion. And we've been talking about uh, the theme of sort of the traitor within. And I think Jason and I were just talking about this. This is sort of the last lesson. This is the last um, time in this story that we see really the complex web of deceit that's sort of necessary for this multi-layer trap that's being laid, right, by the um, the loyalist strike force. And, you know, it, 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 will, it will become apparent that uh, this, this trap is, uh, is, is critical so that, you know, the multi... Uh, layers of it are successful, right? So there's cargo. You can't see me. I'm doing air quotes, right? There's cargo that's going to become very important. Um, and then, so these diversions that are being laid right now will come to uh, fruition. And uh, I think you guys will will see some of that. And hopefully you've read ahead a little bit. And uh, so you know where we're going. But uh, yeah, I think... That'll do it for uh, for housekeeping and intro. So, Jason, to you, my friend. All right, guys. Thanks, Dave, for that lovely setup and svelte handoff. So today, 
we're going to be talking about that false war and what's going on with the Vodian consistory while they're, uh, you know, trying to very awkwardly uh, shuffle around the Sons of Horus dignitary, uh, Corridan and uh, Uncavar Noon, his little uh, Davenite Lodge Priest sidekick, while there's a massive void engagement going on right above them. So, I don't know. I guess this would be something like trying to host a dinner party while also there was just like, I don't know, like an ongoing gun battle in your cul-de-sac. I don't know about most of you guys, but that's not an experience I'm familiar with. So, what's going on here? So, the Cicatrix Tyrannus, the Sons of Horus flagship, it's hanging around uh, Zana Tisiphone as uh, the warlord in charge of this whole uh, Zana deal for the Sons of Horus, Corden and Unkavar Noon are down there hanging out with the Mechanicum delegation. So, the Mechanicum delegation, led by Archmajor's procurator, Gillam Rajan, uh, is the prime arbiter of Zana's Vodian consistory. And he's out in full force with his whole covenant of, like, attendant magi, his guardian servitors, all of his mechanics, all of that good stuff to make the Mechanicum run. So we know from last episode, Gillam Rajan has this terrific gift for Horus. Well, technically for Corden, but through him, Horus are these three massive Ordinatus engines, the Mithrax, the Nepithax, and the Asherax. Now, he's not just turning these things out with a bow on them and telling uh, Corden to ship them on back to Horus. They have an entire gigantic uh, slave army uh, set up along with a basically um, a false city. Uh, that they have built and rebuilt and rebuilt uh, in the past as basically a testing ground for weapons that Zana wants to deploy in mass. So what's basically presented here to the emissaries of the Warmaster is kind of like a theatrical war. Uh, the Zenites essentially arm thousands upon thousands of slaves, uh, of humans, of POWs, uh, some abhumans, some are just random forge serfs and ad secularis they've picked up, uh, plenty of military prisoners, uh, soldiers from, you know, the loyalist side that were just, you know, picked up in the raids that Zana has been, you know, making do with for the past decade or more. And they're basically given crappy, terrible weapons up to and including, like, some Lehman Russ tanks, you know, just to give them, I guess, a sporting chance. And stapled with these remote detonated uh, suicide collars that you may be uh, familiar with if you play militia. And in some cases, even uh, auto-injected with like uh, aggression-instigating chemicals uh, to shove this almost sort of reverse penal regiment uh, into range of these massive uh, Ordinatus engines. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rajan is actually on a massive Mechanicum land crawler, um, very similar to the, you know, giant Leviathan land ships that the Imperium used way down the line. 
but it's flanked by a pair of Sons of Horus Mastodons. And the Warmaster's emissaries here are basically up there to observe this entire false war uh, from within, you know, these massive void shields, but basically in the center of this giant fake battle. And it's not a great idea to assault an Ordinatus engine even before it's fully armed and operational, but these things are in their prime. They're basically brand new out of the box. They've got full crews and complements. Uh, in addition, they have uh, tech marines from the Sons of Horus on board each one to observe like their you know, operation. So again, this isn't just a present with a bow on it. This is like the full in-depth workings, the testing, everything down to the last details, which consequently would probably not be a very, you know, uh, well thought out or well accepted plan, you know, to some of the other fanes of the Mechanica. So uh, right here, I'm going to turn it back over to Dave. So he can tell us some pretty interesting business on these Mastodon carriers that are hanging out with the Vodian Consistory. Thanks, Jason. So this is, um, we're going to go to page 244, right, which is quite a ways beyond where we are right now um, in the Xana incursion. Um, it's actually right after the rules entry for the Mastodon, which is such an interesting place to put this like amazing two-page uh, color plate um, because it it just feels like an Easter egg, right? It's like you could read through the Xana incursion. You could read this little sort of throwaway line about, hey, we, you know, there are these two mastodons, which by the way, first time we've ever heard about mastodons, I think. Um, certainly in the black books, first time we've gotten rules. Um, so it's, it's very interesting, this, this sort of the way the, um, the Forge World design team has decided to just drop a little Easter egg, I think, in the back of the book here. So what we have on page 244 is the Mastodon Heavy Assault Transport IOS Est. And um, what's really interesting about this is you look at this and you think Sons of Horus, right? Clearly, this is the Sons of Horus um, Mastodon. But uh, the without spoiling too much here, because you guys know this is a trap, right? This belongs to the strike force that's going to um, be part of the, uh, the Xana incursion, right? It's already on the ground, actually. So its origins are unclear at this point. Um, we've got anecdotal evidence that suggests that it may be um, once have belonged to the 12th Legion, so the World Eaters, uh, even perhaps uh, under Endred Har's own command. And we'll definitely talk more about Endred Har here. He's a pretty critical character to the plot. But um, at some point after the Primarch of the World Eaters um, turned upon his own sons at Istvan III, uh, Endred Har and his forces were way outside, thought lost in the outer darkness, right? So they were sort of written off. And um, when they show back up, of course, 
you know, the, the heresy is full blown and galactic civil war. And Endred Har is this really enigmatic uh, character who is a Terran. He's not like the rest of the world eaters, right? He's sort of this, um, this is a sort of a legacy from a bygone era. But what, what, we, he, what we have here, right, is this um, rude de guerre, right? This, this, this disguise being employed by Har and the Strike Force at Xana. And it occurs to me that this is such a turning point in loyalist strategy and tactics, right? So they're willing to adopt the colors of the enemy. They're willing to essentially go to any, any ends, any means necessary to inflict um, damage, catastrophic damage on the, the enemy. So this is total war, right? I mean, the galaxy has been a total war for a long time, but the legions now sort of, you know, the sons of the emperor are really at total war with each other. And there's just, there's, there's no, there's no boundary they're They're unwilling to cross. Right. And so this is deception. This is disguise. Um, some really interesting lines here. The ultimate fate of the Ios Est remains unconfirmed as so many details of the Xana incursion and the operation uh, on Xana. But it's um, sort of speculated that the ISS may have survived and it may have gone on to fight in the battle for Beta Garmin, which you guys know is the Titan death, right? Among other things, right? I think pretty much everything dies on Beta Garmin. Um, it's the fire sky it's the titan death it's it's everything um so that's really cool and then there's even some accounts that it may have been present at the siege of terra so this i mean we can see the foundation for so much of where we are now right so several years later several several years after the writing of of book six um we're finally at the siege of terra we had titan death come out just last year. So, I mean, just the, the depth of plot that's being laid down in, in this book is, is amazing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it basically says that the Chthonian script on the ISS is probably um, like all wrong, right? And if the tech priests and the Magi of Zana had spent any time um, around the Sons of Horus, they probably would have deciphered it and realized that something was awry. But because Xana was such an isolationist um, forge world to begin with, and they had so little contact with outside um, forces, which we can't, we can't believe all of that, right? Because they certainly were in the Rangdon Xenocides and they had contact with like um, the forces that participated uh, in that war against the Rangdon. But uh, I guess they didn't have much contact with the Sons of Horus. So they were um, adequately duped and to their, uh, to their demise, I think. Well, maybe not demise, but certainly to, uh, uh, to their decrement. But... Anyway, I, I definitely wanted you guys to be able to, to see this 
awesome entry uh, in the back of the black book. With that, I'll turn it back over to Jason for more lesson four. Thanks, Dave. Whew. Talk about, uh, <laughs> we're going to get a little bit more into uh, why Zana maybe should have paid a little more attention to some of the Astartes that were uh, hanging around. So, uh, back to the false war on Zanatisophone here. So, you've got huge waves of, you know, basically uh, POWs, slaves, helots, abhuman, blow-by, all sorts of, like, terrible, oh gosh, terrible, terrible piles of people just lumped together, given... Maybe working weapons? We're not really sure. But um, they do have some sort of heavy weapons, because there are reports of like heavy stubber fire and unguided rockets just kind of pattering harmlessly off the Ordinatus' uh, power shields. But uh, basically the Mechanicum giggle at this, and then uh, fire a... Uh, Ulator Sonic Cannon straight into this massive pile of people. Uh, and let's see here. It's a pretty good description. There was a brief blinding flash, a roar, all-consuming silence that devoured sound. The surface of the world itself seemed to ripple like a tortured sea, and in that instant a thousand lives were snuffed out. Bodies torn to red rags by the all-destroying waves of sonic energy were blasted across the battlefield as if driven by a hurricane, and beneath them three great trenches now gouged the earth to mark the unleashed blasts. Beside these furrows, scores of bloodied men staggered on broken limbs, their sensors devoured and minds shattered. Those fortunate to be far enough away saw the fate of their comrades and fled if they were able or simply collapsed in shock. So... This isn't even at a real military target. This is basically firing into arguably armed civilians, more or less. And the Ordinatus basically pack up and roll on towards this uh, fake city we were talking about a little while ago. So, a second wave of humans and tossed together, uh, this time a little bit of supporting armor, is thrown together, and uh, while it was even more desperate, and the uh, you know return fire across the Ordinatus's void shields were even more you know violent and desperate, uh, the outcome is pretty much the same. Uh, the army is basically swept off the battlefield, and Zanites issue one more signal, uh, one more. You know, round in this theatrical war, this time of just armored forces, along with um, some jump troops and battle servitors, just wave after wave of even um, up to a column of super heavy tanks to test what the Ulators can really put out and defend against. And while this is going on, and all of this war material is being expended to basically just bounce off the Ulators as, you know, a show of power for the uh, gifts that the Zonites are shipping off to Horus. Uh, in the Void, stuff is going pretty terribly for the Amphion and the other Loyalist capital ships. So 
at best, they're escorting frigates and destroyers have an uphill job here. Uh, they're essentially assaulting a major forge world, and that's not easy on the best of days. The escort ships are getting knocked out of the void pretty regularly. They're doing their best to try and shoot down uh, a lot of the torpedo salvos or the unmanned fighters that are broken uh, that have broken through the barrages from the Amphion and the other capital ships. But it's not going well. Uh, again, it's an entire forge world. It's really not something that's uh, easily done on the best of days. So the Zenites' void forces are essentially completely have surrounded uh, the Loyalist fleet. And though they are doing damage to some of the hunter-killers, it's um, it's getting to the point the attacking fleet is taking the worst end of it. Even though they managed to destroy a lot of the hunter-killers, even though they managed to kill a couple of the war arcs, uh, the Amphion is actually pretty well armed. Uh, it has what are known as giga-scale primary lances, so not something to trifle with. Uh, the Loyalist battleships are starting to fall out and of the formation and catch fire and burn. Uh, Decane's Fury was the first, followed soon after by the Scepter of Io. Uh, both spiral out of control with these uh, massive uh, hunter-killer, you know, squid vessels latching onto them and tearing them apart bit by bit. Uh, not only are the hunter-killers unmanned, and not only are they doing like physical damage past the void shields, they're also a boarding mechanism, which is not very common for the Mechanicum, but they're firing Thalax Covenants and Castellax into the battleships and the solar auxilia in these battleships are not having as good a time against these uh, Mechanicum Thalax and Castellax like we saw back in the Coronid Deeps coverage. It is not going quite as well here as it did for the Ash Scorpions. So as the Loyalists are slowly being driven back and the, escorts the screens of escorts are being stripped away, the Xanite Mechanicum are winning this battle. Uh, it's getting more and more obvious that the Loyalist fleet is not going to get within striking distance of the ships that are hidden in the debris belt that they're going for. So, in the vis distant void battle, uh, while all the stuff between the Amphion and the Xanite Mechanicum is like a very close range deal, uh, the Mortis 11 defense station at the heart of the debris belt uh, defense network began to cycle down as defensive posture. Um, it's obvious that they're too far away to play any actual part. Uh, however, as they begin to cycle down, they're, uh, the massive Gensite network that powers and connects all of these weapon platforms suddenly alert to a new hostile contact, a warship that's way closer than it should be, uh, not way out there in the void, but actually beneath them in the atmosphere of Zana 1. So the Mortis 11 station basically dies before it can do anything to retaliate. 
vortex torpedoes, wipe it out, basically delete it from reality. And it sit here uh, in its place, a sable black ship slices out of the murk. Long and wicked as a blade, the near seamless armor of its surface featureless, save for a single crimson icon across its low prow, graven in the image of a winged sword. So, this ship is something that the Zanites are actually familiar with, because many decades before, when they were being drained by the Emperor in order to fight the Rangdon Wars, uh, this is a ship they recognize. It's a relic of old knight, recovered from the permafrosts of Ganymede by the Emperor's own hand. Her name was the Dark Sovereign, and she belonged to the First Legion. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Dramatic overtones. We are going to hear more about the Dark Sovereign. Um, she's a whole bunch, whole bunch, you guys. Yeah, she's she's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. So much so that we're going to have to um, bring on a guest lecturer specifically to talk about. Um, some theories and supposition on where she may have came from and the dark angels that are on board, but so good. So good. Well, guys, I wanted to just touch on a couple of things that Jason um, just talked about. One is the Mortis station. So Mortis 11 um, is if you go back to the first sort of the, the big map that lays out the, um, the, the system that, uh, that Xana's part of, right? The Visodax Thule sector. Um, I think we're on page 59. Yeah, so fa page 59, right at the beginning of our, of our coverage, we talked about this. I noticed that uh, down in the right-hand corner, we have a um, sort of a, a little highlight box here of a mortis extremis grade mine defense. So it makes sense, right? We've got this gas giant of a planet that's being mined. Essentially, its atmosphere is being mined for resources by, um, by Zana. This is why the Forge World's there in the first place, right? Super, super dense natural resources. And they there's this asteroid belt. We're not sure if it's um, real or not. Like, it, we're not sure if it occurred naturally. It's certainly stable. Um, but within this asteroid belt, they've concealed these uh, mortis extremis grade uh, defense facilities. And... This is Mortis 11, so we can assume there are at least 10 others, probably many, many more. And that as the sort of the loyalist, um, you know, fleet approaches, they are just being exposed to the firepower embedded within this, uh, this debris field, um, which I thought was pretty cool that they, you know, sort of called all this out in, uh, in the map. It was pretty cool. So um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was Ganymede. And this is one of those rabbit holes that I feel like Forge World really loves to just throw out there and just leave Easter eggs. So Ganymede, um, 
was first mentioned in Warhammer 40,000 second edition rulebook on page 17, also mentioned in Codex Imperialis, page 73, and also Imperial Armor Volume 1 on page 11. So Ganymede has a history in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. And really interested to talk to our guest lecturer next time on what the first legion may have been doing there and you know where some of this these relics of old night came from because that's that's very much a dark angels thing right to have these sort of relics of old night um so yeah we touched on some good stuff this uh this lesson guys i want you to keep in mind some things for next lesson um, we talked about the major forge veins, uh, Tephra, Escorial, and Setna. Um, those are going to be important going forward. And yeah, and that, and that forge, um, the prison forge on, uh, on Xanatisiphone will, uh, definitely become important. That's where that, uh, demonstration, weapons demonstration of the Ordinatus is going on. So keep uh, keep in mind all those different places. So we've got multiple we've got multiple actions happening here, right? I don't want you guys to think it's all on Xanatu. We've got things happening on the planet of Xanatu. We've got things happening in orbit. We've got things happening in sort of the the deep space um, fight, and then we've also got things happening on Xanatisophone. So when I talk about like the complexity of this. Um, this incursion, it's it's crazy complex, right? And there's there's not that many loyalists involved, right? When you get right down to it, I think the strike force was around eleven. So, uh, so I mean, sorry, eleven <laughs> around a thousand. Yeah, it was just eleven guys. Um, no, it was, it was it was I think around a thousand. So, um, yeah. I think that's uh, that's what I've got, Jason. You've uh, any closing comments here for this this lesson? Uh, I think eleven individual guys would be giving Astartes a little too much credit. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, 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 eleven. But uh, <laughs> it's a good point. I do like that it's an excellent. Just like the Coronid Deeps, I feel like it focuses on so many things outside of just Space Marine on Space Marine. And I think, like like you were just talking about, uh, Astartes plays such a comparatively small role in this. It's just a thousand guys. But uh, it really gives us such a nice in-depth look at what else is going on and what else can go on in the galaxy. Because, I mean, all the legions together are... I'm sure somebody's going to tear apart my numbers, but maybe 5 million Space Marines tops? That's not that many in, you know, a galaxy comprising literal trillions, sometimes in just, you know, one system. So I just, I don't know. I say it a lot, but I really like the highlights on stuff other than Space Marines. Because while I love Space Marines, I mean, you kind of have to, you know, if you're going to get into the Horus Heresy at all, 
I really do like the time and effort they put into things that they could very well have just like hand waved away as not being particularly important because they're not space marines. I think they're I think the black books have given the Forge Worlds um a huge amount of, of depth, right? Something that was before I think you know, when we knew there were Forge Worlds, because there had to be, because there was a Mechanicum, right? I think the the Horus Heresy and, and the Black Books have just really given them so much detail. They've almost put them on par with uh, with the Legions. So, Oh, yeah. But yeah. so often before, especially in 40K, I mean, I've been around since the second edition. And I know that's dating myself a little bit, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so often, Forge Worlds were just a sort of, I don't know, they were rarely talked about outside of like, oh, well, this Chaos Space Marine Warband came into possession of this Forge World, or this Forge World is the one that turns out all this stuff for the Imperial Guard, not the Astra Militarum. But they were just kind of like a side note, you know, to get chapters of Space Marines the weapons and armor they need. But yeah, I I love the depth and seeing like the night worlds come into it, which are like their own breed of forge world, and I really like Mechanica. Yeah, definitely, and I think given the, all of our coverage of the forge worlds, right? We talked about you know Paramar and uh, and you know obviously Zarakad and um, even the coordinates coordinate deeps. We talked about Cyclothrace and um Mezua. and pandex yeah and in pandex right and i think we know from all of those sort of stories uh if you can't get boots on the ground you're never gonna go you're never gonna to inflict damage on forge world because you know like Mezua. Mezua holds out against literally a traitor blockade and repeated traitor attacks for like for like years right until the freaking siege of terror is over so yeah i mean if you can't figure out a way and that was that was the whole paramar story is right right the alpha legion had to um try to get boots on the ground they just weren't expecting the uh um loyalist uh iron warriors to show up right um but uh, but yeah, you have to. You've got to penetrate this multifaceted, multi-layered defense network that I mean, any Forge world is going to have. So you guys are seeing that trap about to be sprung, 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 sprung. <laughs> um, yeah, Jason. That's it for me. Cool. I'm content. All right. This would normally be the part where Pat comes on and says, do you guys have any plugs? And I do actually have a plug uh, for the first time. I think I have an official plug. Um, maybe our first official plug uh, ever. Uh, and I will share it with you guys first because I know it's going to take some time for this to come out in um, sort of the wash here as we produce episodes and um, go through episodes. But we have our first sort of official sponsor, and uh, I don't really know how to say this, so we're going to get Caro to do it, like in an official soundbite bit that we can just splice in. But um, Feldher, the bags, 
and the guys that do like amazing foam, like really, I think the best foam out there right now for your, um, for your minis, right. Whether they're 40 K 30 K Adeptus Titanicus. Um, so they've given us a discount code that we can share, uh, with really all of our listeners. So I don't, there's no expiration to this. So if you guys know what I'm talking about, you guys want to go check out Felder. The code is heresy, H-E-R-E-S-Y 2020. And if you put in an order of 50 euro or more, uh, you'll get a five euro discount. So it takes a little bit of the sting off of, uh, of shipping to the U.S. I think I just ordered a big bag from them, like an AT backpack with a lot of foam. Shipping was like 14, um, 14 euro. And so all their pricing is in euros. It's not in dollars. But, um, but yeah, it takes a little bit of the sting out of that. And uh, if you guys are in Europe and uh, you can take advantage of Felder's free shipping in Europe, uh, then this will really be a deal for you guys. So that's what I got. Pretty cool. Jason, you, have you ever used any of their bags or foam? I have not. I have heard good things. Yeah, I got their um, their AT backpack for Adepticon. So it's gonna it's a backpack I can carry it on the plane, um, and then it's got this custom cut foam uh, for like like basically perfectly fits my AT army. So like a warlord, uh, two reavers, four warhounds, uh, plenty of foam for knights, and then like the like a, a foam tray for like all your like bits and stuff, your, your dice and your tokens. So I'm pretty excited Sounds to get solid. that. Yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, thanks guys for listening. That's all we've got for lesson four. Lesson five is coming up guys. The trap will be sprung. And that's going to be uh, very special. We're going to, Dave and I are going to take a little pilgrimage and uh, return in person to the mother cast. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, guys. We're going to be all together. Uh, well, uh, Jason, Pat, and I, so the grad school guys are going to be all together in Studio One, which is uh, Jesse's apartment. So <laughs> Jesse's going to, uh, to join us and uh, we're going to have a good time. So might go a little bit longer, but it, it will definitely be cool. So definitely Absolutely. stay tuned. Catch you next time, guys. All right. I'm going to do this. You ready, Jason? Ready. <laughs>